Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express, it's Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. Kennedy Hall is a supporter of the Society of St. Pius X and an apologist for Recognize and Resist Theology. In recent years, he's come to some prominence in the social media world, being affiliated with the Fatima Center and writing for publications such as 1 Peter 5 and Crisis Magazine. Earlier this year, he published the book SSPX, The Defense. On YouTube, he has his own show called The Kennedy Report. Kennedy Hall is easy to recognize online. He has a slight Canadian accent and a pretty good-sized beard. Now, back on May 11th of this year, Hall released a video entitled Five SSPX Myths Debunked. About a week later, I joined Kevin Davis on the Catholic Family Podcast to respond to Hall's video. And in case you haven't seen that yet, please be sure to check it out. The link is in the show notes, or you can just go to YouTube and search for Five SSPX Myths Debunked. We've gotten pretty good feedback on it. People say they found our response informative and helpful. So, why am I telling you all this? Because on May 26th, Hall released another video entitled, Why I Am Not a Sedeva Contest. Now, I don't know if that had anything to do with the response video Kevin Davis and I had made a week prior, but in this podcast, I'd like to take some time and go through Hall's video, minus the beard oil commercial, and consider his arguments and respond to them. So, first of all, let's have a look at the title. Hall's video is called, Why I Am Not a Sedevacantist. It is not called, Why Sedevacantism is False, or Why You Shouldn't Be a Sedevacantist, but why I am not a sedevacantist. And that already sets the tone, because, indeed, his arguments are quite subjective and filled with fluff. There's just not much substance there. But let's go through this step by step. I'm not going to play everything Hall says, only the more important stuff, and then I'll rudely interrupt and comment. And, folks, I can tell you this right now. In this podcast episode, we're not going to finish. So, this will be part one of probably two or three parts responding to Kennedy Hall. But, it'll be worth it. Alright, so, Hall begins by clarifying that he is not anti-Sedevacantist, and that in his opinion, Sedevacantists who are of goodwill, and he even concedes there might be some, are not guilty of schism. Let's listen in, starting at the 2 minute 14 second mark. As far as I'm concerned, when I read the literature on what it means to be a schismatic, whether it's Thomas Aquinas and the great saints and whatever, it's pretty clear that to be a schismatic, you have to essentially reject the papacy out of principle. It's not just the odd moment of disobedience, because of course, scriptures tell us that you could obey God over man, that could include any superior. Um, you know, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is very clear that St. Paul resisted Peter to his face and wouldn't go along with what he was doing because Peter was scandalizing the church. I mean, you can use your critical thinking skills and understand that if you disobey your father in one instance and you have a good reason for it, this is not you saying your father isn't your father and doesn't have the authority to do what he's supposed to do as a father. They're very separate things, and people with critical reasoning skills can probably distinguish between those two, which is rare today, sadly. 
But nonetheless, uh, in order for someone to be a schismatic, they have to essentially reject the Pope in principle. They have to reject the papacy as such. They have to reject that the Pope has the authority to do Pope things. And, and in the case of, of Sede Vacantists, if a Sede Vacantist is of goodwill and doesn't believe that there's been a Pope for a certain amount of time, uh, personally, I don't see that as that person rejecting this to submit to the Pope. I see that as that person believing in good faith for their reasons, which we'll get to in a second, that there is no Pope and therefore there's no one to submit to. All right. Uh, first, I'd like to thank Kennedy Hall for pointing out that obviously Sede Vacantists do not reject the papacy, the papal office with its divinely established authority. Rather, we believe that Francis and his five predecessors of unhappy memory do not, did not, hold the papal office, and that that is manifest from their fruits. In other words, we have seen the effects of the supposed pontificates of John XXIII, Paul VI, John Paul I, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and Francis, and we reason back from those effects to their cause. And the only way to explain the effects is by holding that they were, in fact, not true popes. They never actually obtained the papacy. Whatever the precise reason may have been for their failure to become true popes, whether that be manifest heresy before their respective elections or them placing a voluntary obstacle to a valid acceptance of their election, or some other reason, the point is that it is evident that they are not true popes, okay? They cannot be. That's it in a nutshell. Now, with regard to the essence of schism, first of all, the word schism comes from the Greek and means cleft or split. Schism is a division, a separation. Strictly speaking, it has nothing to do with denying a truth of the faith, although that very often accompanies it. Denying a dogma is heresy, not schism, and schism is a separation, not a denial of the faith. It's unfortunate that Kennedy Hall does not point to any particular source for what he's saying about schism. He's very vague, very general, and just says, well, he's read stuff from St. Thomas Aquinas and the saints and whatever. What we need is chapter and verse. Who says what and where? Now, in researching the question of the nature of schism for this podcast, I've not found an entirely consistent picture in the theological literature before Vatican II. Does the essence of schism necessarily include a denial of the authority of the Pope? Does it imply a rejection of the papacy in principle? As Hall says, pre-Vatican II sources are not always in agreement with each other on that, is what I found. However, what I can say for sure is that Hall's claim that schism necessarily entails a rejection of papal authority is definitely not held by all authors and even outright contradicted by some. Let's look at three specific traditional Catholic sources on that, starting with, drumroll, St. Thomas. If we look at the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas, 
The topic of schism is treated in four articles in the second part of the second part, question 39. Let me quote the most relevant fragments from Article 1. So this is St. Thomas speaking now. Schismatics properly so called are those who willfully and intentionally separate themselves from the unity of the church. Schismatics are those who refuse to submit to the sovereign pontiff and to hold communion with those members of the church who acknowledge his supremacy. The essence of schism consists in rebelliously disobeying the commandments. And I say rebelliously, since a schismatic both obstinately scorns the commandments of the church and refuses to submit to her judgment. So, that's what St. Thomas says. Next, let me quote from the Dictionary of Moral Theology, compiled under the direction of Cardinal Francesco Roberti, published in the Italian original in 1957, English translation, 1962. Starting on page 1097. Quote, Schism is a technical theological term to indicate a separation of a group or of an individual from the unity of the universal church with the retention of belief in the true faith. On this latter point, a schism differs from a heresy or apostasy. This unity of the church has a twofold aspect, a union of the faithful among themselves in the bonds of charity, and a union of the members with the head in the bond of obedience. To lack either of these aspects con constitutes a sin of schism. In practice, however, after an initial break, these two elements will coincide in their effects. In itself, schism could exist without heresy, that is, as a mere de facto separation or rebellion, without a theoretical denial of the authority of the Pope, as occurred in the Great Western Schism of 1378 to 1418 AD. In practice, however, heresy usually creeps into a schism, since eventually it becomes necessary to deny the dogma of papal infallibility and all other dogmas declared after the schism or break. This occurred in the schism of the Eastern Dissident Churches. It must be noted that individual members of the flock, as well as groups, may become schismatic. A schism may be material, that is, in good faith, as many Eastern schismatics, or formal, in bad faith. The sin that arises from a schism is serious in its matter as a grave sin of disobedience. Obedience is due to the supreme head of the church. Theologians, following St. Thomas, list schism with the sins against charity because it is a breach of peace among the faithful. Schism is less grave than heresy and irreligion because these are offenses against the revelation of God, the supreme head of all men and infinite truth. Unquote. Now, so far we've considered schism as a sin against God's law, which is a matter of moral theology. But schism can also be considered as a crime against church law, which is a matter of canon law. With regard to that, we can quote Father Ignatius Zoll, who wrote the canonical study, The Communication of Catholics with Schismatics, published in 1948. And he explains the notion of schism as follows. And this is from pages 
1 and 2. Quote, The notion of schism is clear, for in law a schismatic is defined as one who, having received baptism and still retaining the name of Christian, nevertheless refuses obedience to the supreme pontiff or refuses to communicate with those members of the church who are subject to him. There is here involved no denial of any article of divine or Catholic faith. Strictly considered, a schismatic professes belief in the sovereign power and primacy of the Pope, but out of malice refuses to be subject to him and to obey him as the head of the Church and the Vicar of Christ on earth. Such schism is called pure schism. To constitute the delictive schism in the strict sense, the following conditions are required. Number one, one must withdraw directly, expressly, or indirectly, by means of one's actions, from obedience to the Roman pontiff and separate oneself from ecclesiastical communion with the rest of the faithful, even though one does not join a separate schismatical sect. Number two, one's withdrawal must be made with obstinacy and rebellion. Number three, the withdrawal must be made in relation to those things by which the unity of the church is constituted. And, number four, despite this formal disobedience, the schismatic must recognize the Roman pontiff as the true pastor of the church, and he must profess as an article of faith that obedience is due the Roman pontiff. As a consequence, there is no schism involved if one separates from his bishop and the communion of the faithful of his diocese, but remains subject to the Roman pontiff and the universal church. However, today such a position would be impossible to maintain in practice. Nor is there any schism if one merely transgress a papal law for the reason that one considers it too difficult, or if one refuses obedience inasmuch as one suspects the person of the Pope or the validity of his election, or if one resists him as the civil head of a state. Unquote. Notice that in none of these quotes I just gave you is there any mention of schism involving a denial of the papacy. In fact, Father Zoll just explicitly stated that a denial of the papacy is not a part of schism as such, of pure schism. A denial of the papacy, of the authority of the Pope, would be heresy, and has been since at least the First Vatican Council, which dogmatically defined the papal primacy as a primacy of universal jurisdiction, not only over all the bishops and clergy, but also all of the faithful. Now, it is true that oftentimes schism is accompanied by heresy, because the schismatic looks for a reason to justify his schism. Then it's no longer a pure schism, but a mixed schism, schism mixed with heresy. Let me quote one more time from Father Zoll, page 3. Quote, Pure schism, however, is rare, though in theory or absolutely considered it can exist, in practice it is rarely to be found, for after a period of time, most schismatics not only refuse obedience, but contend that they do not have to obey. Unquote. Now, is this not exactly what we see now 
in Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, for example, who is looking for doctrinal justification for his refusal of submission to Francis. He calls it rethinking the papacy, right? And he's coming up with ideas that are historically tied to the heresy of Gallicanism. But anyway, Kwasniewski is not our topic now. To get back to my original point, I just provided three pre-Vatican II sources that disagree with what Kennedy Hall said regarding the nature of schism. And I think it's pretty evident from what we just heard that if schism is lurking anywhere, it's in the recognize and resist position. Because, let's face it, the recognize and resist trads of, you know, the remnant and Catholic family news and similar outlets do not simply have the odd moment of disobedience, as Hall calls it. They readily admit that there is a new religion underway in the Vatican, the conciliar religion of Vatican II. And it's being taught in the official magisterium of the people they recognize as popes. And that religion they want nothing to do with, nor do they want anything to do with the worship or the government of that Vatican II church. For example, this is what Robert Morrison wrote in The Remnant on November 16th, 2021. Quote, The entire synodal process is a damnable abomination, and those who participate in it are mocking God and the faith. Unquote. Now keep in mind, according to Morrison, the synodal process was introduced by the Vicar of Christ, and yet look at what he says about it. In another piece for the remnant, released on July 28, 2022, the same Robert Morrison says, quote, It can be no mere coincidence that Bergoglio's every step advances the aims of Satan and the globalists, unquote. He's talking about the man he believes is the Pope. And further, he says of Francis, quote, He unequivocally opposes the one holy Catholic and apostolic church and all those who wish to fight for it, unquote. So much for the odd moment of disobedience. But that's nothing. Nothing compared to what Jason Morgan wrote for The Remnant, published on February 10th, 2022. That article is entitled, The Tragedy of New Church, and I'm going to quote bits and pieces from it, leaving aside the particular context, otherwise it would be too much. Just listen to these sound bites. Quote, The contradictions and confusion are not incidental to New Church. They are inherent in it. There is no way to be pro-life and New Church. For New Church is, at heart, a humanistic, man-made institution founded on relativism and compromise. Modernism is New Church's identity. New Church is antithetical to the singularity of Christ's cross. New Church is legion, is pro-choice to its very core. Those who want to remain Catholic will have to find their way out of New Church at some point. New Church was born pro-choice. It was born in schism, rupture, chaos, duplicity, misdirection. New Church is the Vatican II sham show on repeat forever. 
The Catholic faithful have been asked for nearly 60 years now to suspend disbelief and to pretend that the Novus Ordo, the new Coke version of the real thing, is the equivalent, somehow, of the actual Mass. New Church is mockery, a mock-up of Catholicism. It can never preach Christ and Him crucified, because that would be an insult to New Church's God and Satan's diversity. The Vatican persecutes Christians in all dioceses as everyone who wishes to attend the real Mass. Because the Vatican hates most that which it professes to but cannot control, the body of Christ. In setting up a false Mass in place of the real Mass, and passing that fake Mass off as a continuation of the real one, the Vatican exiled itself from the Church. To reform the Mass is not to reform it, but to deny it. To deny the Mass is to send oneself into the darkness of exile. That exile camp of lost souls is new church. Unquote. Just an odd moment of disobedience, huh? Folks, if that's not schism, I don't know what is. Oh, and in case you think that's still not schism because we don't know what the author means by new church, well, on October 2nd, 2020, Morgan had defined the term for his readers also in an article at The Remnant. Quote, New church, the faux Catholic church headed by Pope Francis, is not a religious organization at all. Unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not simply the odd moment of disobedience. This is a wholesale rejection of the conciliar program and the institution that stands behind it. And by the way, that is the reason why Francis is now taking away their traditional Latin mass, but that's another topic for another day. What characterizes those who take a strict recognize-and-resist position is not that there is the odd moment of disobedience, but that there is the odd moment of obedience, the once-in-the-blue-moon accidental submission. They are in habitual de facto separation from the new church in its doctrine, its worship, and its government. And it is only sometimes, on fairly rare occasion actually, that they display a kind of submission. For example, if Francis grants a plenary indulgence for the year of St. Joseph or something like that, that they will go along with. But that is the exception, not the norm. Oh, but they pray for the Pope, right? They pray for Francis. Well, that's nice. I bet the Dalai Lama does too. Again, schism is refusal of submission to the Roman pontiff. It is not refusal to pray for the Roman pontiff. A picture of the Pope in your sacristy does not mean you're in communion with him. Now look, of course, not every recognize and resistor is going to go quite as far as Jason Morgan. But The Remnant is a mainstream recognize and resist publication, and I think it says a lot that they saw fit to print that stuff. I mean, the remnant is read not just by SSPX people, but especially, I think, by, by indult people, those who go to the diocesan traditional Latin Mass and, and maybe the fraternity of St. Peter. Apparently, Michael Matt, the editor of the remnant, apparently he knew that not too many people in his camp would have a problem with what Jason Morgan said. 
and perhaps not everyone would phrase it the same way, but I'd say that deep down most recognize and resist people are separated from Francis and want to be. They would never allow Francis to be the final arbiter to determine what they must believe, how they must worship, or what laws they must follow. Folks, some of them will not even venerate the people Francis has declared to be saints. Whether Francis is or isn't Pope makes a big difference, because the papacy makes a big difference. How could you possibly say that whether a certain individual holds the office of Vicar of Christ with the keys to the kingdom of heaven or not doesn't really matter? The only way you could say it doesn't matter is if you've already separated yourself from him spiritually anyway, right? Now, in the case of us, Sede Vacantes, do we intentionally separate ourselves from Francis, from Jorge Bergoglio? Of course we do. But we do because we believe he is not the Pope. And why do we believe that? Because he proves just about every day that he could not possibly be the Pope. Because if you look at the Catholic teaching on the papacy, you can see that Bergoglio, Francis, does not fit the description of what the Pope is and does in the least. Francis is not the principle of Catholic unity. He is not the guarantee of orthodoxy. He does not denounce errors, nor does he make virtue loved. His magisterium is not the proximate and universal criterion of truth. Far from keeping the gates of hell from prevailing, Francis actually represents the gates of hell more than anyone else. And I think most of the recognize and resist trads, like Kennedy Hall, would probably agree with us there. But that's precisely what's so scary, because if they concede that the Catholic doctrines and dogmas concerning the papacy are not verified in Francis, and nevertheless claim he's the Pope, then they're implicitly denying what the Church teaches about the papacy. And if on top of that, they then refuse him submission, when submission is likewise required by Catholic dogma, then Catholicism has been totally turned on its head. Do you see how much damage their position is doing to the papacy? But they refuse to let go of the idea that Bergoglio is the Pope, and so they have no choice but to reduce the papacy to meaninglessness. They're sacrificing the Catholic teaching regarding the papacy for the sake of having a warm body, so to speak. Someone they can point to and say, look, there's the Pope. But it really doesn't go much farther than that, does it? As the late Father Anthony Ciccata said many years ago, theirs is a cardboard Pope. He exists for display purposes only. But the Pope of Catholic teaching is not a cardboard Pope. He is a Pope to whom you must submit as the rule of faith, the principle of unity in the Church, the Father and Teacher of all Christians, the guarantee of orthodoxy. Ask yourself how God can require submission to the Roman Pontiff as a condition of salvation if such submission could at the same time constitute a danger 
to your salvation. If it could lead you to hell, it makes no sense whatsoever. We'll continue with more of our response to Kennedy Hall's video, Why I Am Not a State of a Contest, in the next episode of Tratcast Express. Won't be long. Stay tuned. Tratcast Express is a production of Novus Ordo Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novusordowatch.org slash donate.